This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Time Travelling Team. I'm Trisha. Each week, Paul and Dan do a fantastic job guiding us through the wide world of movies and TV shows. Meanwhile, my co-host Paddy and I are taking a trip through the time vortex and discussing the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey world of Doctor Who. Starting back from the earliest adventures in 1963, we're discussing the stories, the Doctor, the companions and the villains of this iconic show. You can find us at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy as Paul and Dan do their thing, half-measure style. Kia ora, and welcome in to another episode of Half Measures, your weekly What to Watch podcast. I'm Paul Canera, and I'm joined by the pride of Wellington, Daniel Whiting. Kia ora, Dan. Kia ora, Paul. Are you talking at two times speed? Because it feels faster than usual. I know. I feel like after last week's Dan Whiting radio intro... Um, I felt like I really had to come up with something myself. Look, I like it, Paul. I, I like it. It's quick. It's efficient. It's down to business. It is indeed. Talking of down to business then, we had a long weekend here in New Zealand, which surely means that we've managed to watch quite a bit of quite a bit of stuff. Am I right? I don't know about you, but I've managed to squeeze in quite a few uh, different things. And yeah, I've got lots to talk about today. How about yourself? Yeah, I do indeed. And... I even went to the cinema, Dan. I'm going to leave you with that as I ask you, what have you been watching this week? All right. So I have watched the final season of Shameless. Now, this is a show that I've talked about a few times on the podcast before. This is season 11 of Shameless. This is the the US version. And it's a show that I've enjoyed over the, God, I guess it's 11 seasons, probably over the last 10 or so years. It's It's been a a great sort of annual watch to sit down and watch the whole the whole season. And I normally save it up till it all comes out at once. And I, I did I did that with season 11 here. And what was really um, cool about this well, is they actually really incorporated COVID and the pandemic into season 11. So throughout the whole season, people are walking around with masks on. They're kind of interacting with each other with masks there. You know, they're taking them off. And there's all sorts of, you know, the, the various dramas that come attached to that. But not only that, it was a it was kind of the a farewell to the Gallagher family of Shameless, and I think if it's you know it it's really is a great show. Like eleven seasons probably feels like quite a, an undertaking, but it's a show that I think you can um, you can you know watch a few seasons, put it down for a while, come back to it and pick it up again because it's a pretty hard going family. Like they're sort of a almost almost like a. I want to say forgotten family because they just go through so much turmoil and struggle and there's so there's so much drama attached to them um but it's you know season 11 was really great it was sort of a a great end to the show I don't know if it was the the ending I probably truly wanted I would have liked to see it a bit more wrapped up but I guess the to be true to I guess the the context and the and the premise of the show, there really is no probably end to the the struggles that the Gallagher family are always going to be facing. So, um, yeah, look, it was good. Season eleven, it's all come to an end. Shameless is one of those shows that 
you know when people talk about shows some people like something or some people say oh no it's not for me this is one show that i have heard a few people talk about and every single one has always been positive and that's always a good sign these are, and these are lots of different people from different walks of life different sort of you know and everyone loves it so 11 seasons what are we talking here we've got oh wow 134 episodes that is a good innings right <laughs> It's a lot. Like even my, I was talking to my dad a couple of months ago, and he was telling me how he started watching Shameless, and he absolutely loves it. And this wouldn't have been a show that I would recommend recommend to him, but I think they're just such a a lovable down and out family. And like Frank, the the main character, is just so he's such a scumbag, and everything he does, it just who's played by William H. Macy, you just, you, you kind of love to hate him. Like, he'll always sort of screw over his family. He'll always, like, he would steal money from his, his own grandchildren, basically, to uh, go out for a drink. Like, he's just that type of guy. And there's moments where you're just like, Ugh, but you just, you, you love it the whole time. I love a character like that. Not in real life, but on a TV show, I love that. Indeed, indeed. Uh, I've also watched a movie, and I wonder whether you might have watched this movie, Paul, a new movie on Netflix called Stowaway. No, it is 100% on the list to watch. So interesting you picked this one. So this is a a new Netflix movie. It's a three-person crew on a mission to Mars, and they face an impossible choice when an unplanned passenger jeopardizes the lives of everyone on board. And so I thought, I read that title, and I thought, you know what, this sounds like a movie that Paul Canal is going to be all over. They're going to Mars, it's in space, and it's sort of one of those like tightly confined films where there's, you know, it's mainly sort of these four characters. Um, it, it's got a pretty pretty great cast behind it, to be honest, as well. Um, it's got Anna Kendrick, it's got uh, Daniel Day Kim from, you might remember him from Lost, it's mm-hmm. got Tony Collette. Um, I don't, are you, are you going to watch this movie? I am going to watch it. I have heard mixed reviews i didn't even realize it was out like i had it on my list and i was expecting to get a notification to say it's out and i see it just came out this week so um what's the what's the verdict then well to be honest you probably didn't get a notification because it came out in 2021 you probably should wait for like 40 or 50 years and then, <laughs> and then check it out <laughs> very funny i'm really i'm really pleased for you enjoying this moment <laughs> Um, it's look to be honest with you I probably had higher expectations particularly because it stars Tony Collette I thought oh this is going to be really good Um, she's always good value Mm. it was quite slow Um, I think what they try to do is they they, they try to really sort of um, propose the question of like so if there's they've only got enough oxygen to basically survive um, for the, the three original crew members and so having this fourth person on board um, really creates the whole dilemma of who, like, can we get rid of anyone on this? Can, um, like, do we do we kill this person to survive? And, uh, you know, when you put it like that, it's quite black and white, but there's a whole bunch of, you know, they're on a science mission, they're doing it to basically see whether um, humanity can live on Mars, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, so it's kind of for the betterment of uh, the human race. And it's sort of, they try to process those questions, but... I don't think it ever really goes deep enough to make you really care about the, the characters and, and what they're going through. Like it's like it's I would give it a, a fine category. Like if we were giving this on the guns of Kimbo scale two, two and a half guns maybe. Like it's not it's definitely not terrible. Um it's it's well acted. It's I think it's well shot. I think this story probably just lacks a a little bit more depth that I was maybe looking for. Everything about this appeals to me the the story you've just explained or the plot the the cast the premise uh, just 
the setting, I I go into this movie not with high expectations, but just I think I'll get something out of it, and I'm I I hope I get a chance to watch it this week. Good luck, good luck. Um, I've also watched the final episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So every week I've been raving about this TV show, and so this was uh, I get only six episodes. So a fairly short series, but as I've been saying this whole time along, they're really high quality episodes, lots of really great action scenes. I think as a as a finale, again, a little bit lackluster, unfortunately. I think they did a good job at kind of wrapping up the key pop points. Um I'm gonna drop into spoilers, but I'm, I imagine if you're all over this show, you you probably already are kind of aware of what's going on, but basically um, Sam finally takes on the shield and becomes um, Captain America, and his it's kind of, a, I guess, a great story arc for Sam. I think where it kind of doesn't give the same justice is to the Winter Soldier himself, um, so Bucky Barnes. Like his story, he kind of gets like a little bit of closure. He kind of heals some old wounds, but I, I actually think the penultimate episode far exceeded how good this episode was like mm. this this was good if they're going to do more seasons because i think they've kind of you know they've given us the the great combo of um sam and bucky we know they work well together we know they're really good bros we know they can really kick butt and uh, they've kind of set up some i guess some teasers for where this could go in the wider marvel universe particularly with characters like the power broker but again if they're not going to do another season kind of leaves me sort of scratching my head around why would you do that? But so I'm really hoping that, and I've sort of seen a little bit of stuff online that they are considering doing another season or more seasons of the show, which I think would be really awesome. But it was it was so good to have this little six episode uh, journey to sort of spend some more time with the Winter Soldier and the Falcon. Nice. This is the second time I think you've talked about uh, a Marvel show where the the final episode hasn't lived up to the expectation, and the penultimate episode has been the the stronger of the of the of the lot. And I think you know that was with one division. So um, yeah, still high ratings though, right? Yeah, I, I think it, it is. Like it, they're still great shows, and I I don't know what I'm looking for to sort of really give it that spark. And I guess they always want to make sure they leave. You know, there's a whole, like we've always talked about, there's a real big Marvel universe that they're working with now. They're thinking about the movies, the TV shows, how they all interrelate. And they want to leave enough there that they can sort of pick up and do more stuff. And also they probably don't want to go so far as to disrupt what might happen in future movies. Like if there's anything too major that happens, you know, you would start to ask the question as a Marvel fan like you are, Paul, like, mm. where was Spider-Man in this movie? Where was Doctor Strange? Like, why aren't these other heroes kind of appearing? And so they kind of always have to kind of just take their foot off the gas a little bit as they kind of bring it to an end. Makes sense. Makes sense. And my final thing, I too have been to the movies. I didn't see you there. You I didn't invite me to come with you either. I wonder if we watched the same thing. I've been to see Mortal Kombat. Oh, I heard i've heard about this i haven't that wasn't what i watched okay so this is the um 2021 mortal Kombat. i don't know about you paul but um as a as a young a young boy i grew up playing mortal Kombat um on the computer on the playstation on the 
whatever it came on uh, back in the day. Absolutely loved it. I remember when the first Mortal Kombat movie came out, even though that was it was pretty terrible, I absolutely loved it. It had a killer soundtrack. And I've always enjoyed the, the Mortal Kombat uh, video games over the, the last sort of decade or so. And I sort of went into this movie you know, pretty pretty neutral expectations. I knew I wasn't coming into sort of a uh, Oscar worthy sort of performance, but I'll tell you what, Paul, this movie was a lot of fun. Particularly if you're a Mortal Kombat fan, it's I think what they've really done with this movie is they've really set it up to to start sort of the the Mortal Com- Mortal Combat movie universe, and they've sort of brought in a whole bunch of great characters. Um, like Sonya Blade, Kano, Jax, like Lord Raiden, all the characters that are sort of familiar to those fans of the the Mortal Kombat universe. The fight scenes and the action are completely over the top. And if you've if you have played one of the Mortal Kombat video games more recently, you'll notice they're 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 pretty violent, they're pretty extreme, and they've really done a great job at replicating that into a movie. And I've seen a few um, interviews with the. Uh, director Simon uh, McCoy and he sort of really talks about how he's really tried to push that that R level rating of the movie to the limits without sort of being too over the top or ridiculous and I think he's done a great job at at being true to the source material but also making a a great popcorn movie and I for one would I'd definitely be there for future future movies. I remember this game was quite big I never I never played it I never saw it. I'm such a noob. I'm looking at this now and I'm seeing that combat is spelt with a K. What's up with that? So it's done in the Mortal Kombat universe. That's your answer. That explains a lot. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, look, I know nothing about this beyond the fact that there was a game series. I don't know the director. I don't know any of the stars. But I have enjoyed some video game movies like Max Payne, like Agent 47, Hitman, and and I always find them quite good value. And so, like you say, you never expect it to to win all the Oscars, but that's not what you're there for. You know, the, the premise of the movie is it's, it's a pretty basic premise, and uh, uh, maybe about five or six episodes ago, uh, you might remember I talked about uh, the Mortal Kombat animated uh, movie that I watched that was on Netflix, that's right. and that was quite a bit of fun as well. And this is sort of a, a fairly similar f- concept. Basically, the whole premise of the film is that um, there's a – they're trying to bring together Earth's greatest champions in order to stand against the enemies of the outworld. And basically, if the outworld uh, defeats Earth one more time, then the outworld can come and take over the take over the take over the Earth. And there's all sorts of basically. It's kind of a, a I use this term loosely a good versus evil kind of fight. But let's be honest, like this is some pretty brutal fighting. There's people, there's, you know, there's definitely body parts flying everywhere. People are getting chopped up. It's, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty action packed, but, um, no, look, it's a good time. I'd, I'd recommend it if you're a fan of the genre. Awesome. And Paul, that is me. How about yourself? So, yeah, so like you with the long weekend here in New Zealand, we went out and about and I finally went to the cinema. And so, Firstly, can I say I'd forgotten how much other people in the theatre annoy me. Like, they seem to have no ability to quietly eat stuff and stuffing their faces during a quiet moment in a movie. What is wrong with people? But look, it didn't really matter because the movie that I went to see, Dad, was The Crudes, A New Age. So this is the uh, the sequel to 2013's 
the Croots. Um, I have not seen the original. I don't think that it necessarily uh, married, uh, sorry, mattered too much. Um, animated comedy. We went as a family. The prehistoric family, the Croods, are challenged by a rival family who claims to be better and more evolved. Kids, they, they love this. They they saw the first one and they wanted to see the, the sequel. I actually laughed a lot at this movie. I I feel like there was quite a lot in there as as an adult. Um, it was really enjoyable. So there's, there's a really decent um, voice cast as well. So you've got Nicolas Cage, Ryan Reynolds, Emma Stone, Catherine Keener, Leslie Mann, Peter Dinklage, um, and Kelly Marie Tran. And I have to admit, I think this is the first movie well, the first Nicolas Cage movie I've ever seen at the movies, I reckon. I couldn't think of one I had. Uh, and also the first Nicolas Cage movie I think I've seen in about a decade, maybe since, I don't know, Kick-Ass. Um, it's good fun. Ryan Reynolds, um, as always, as we've said before, is is just Ryan Reynolds. I love his humour. There's something about his voice that's so distinctive that it, I found he almost took me out of the movie. But, you know, I can't believe I'm saying that about a kid's movie. But, hey, he's really fun in this movie. Um, and I can tell they would have had a lot of fun recording this one. So, uh, yeah, The Croods, A New Age, my first movie at the cinema, I think, probably since The Lion King, or and not the animated one, the the, the John Favreau one. I guess um, when you say that people are noisy and talking, that's which I think is pretty much a given for most movies. But being a, a children's movie, maybe maybe you need to give them a, a bit of a wider pass. On this one, <laughs> no, no one escapes the wrath. I expect absolute silence. Okay, <laughs> um, uh, it was, look, it was awesome to watch as a family, um, and much like we've talked about before, there, there's, there's a lot in there for adults that the kids won't get. Um, definitely a lot in there for the kids. Obviously, um, I, f- I feel like I don't always enjoy some of the the animated comedy sometimes they feel a bit production line but this one rates pretty high for me and also i've noticed for the audience score and the critics which you don't always see so i would say it's probably one of the best since toy story for me um and based on the way it finishes i i think they've already set themselves up for a sequel so this is a this is two guns for me on the on the old guns akimbo scale den Look, I'm, I don't know much about the Croods, to be honest with you. Um, but I actually did see the trailer for this movie. It might have played before something I watched on YouTube or something. And I've got to admit, it gave me a few laughs if I'm thinking about the same movie. So in the movie, they were like trying to make a shield wall because they thought like a saber tooth was going to attack them or something. And it kind of had a, a few sort of good laughs in it. So. Look, when this is out on one of the platforms in New Zealand, I'll probably give it a whirl. As you say, like I really enjoy some of the the adult humour in these movies. It's often quite dark and funny. So, yeah, definitely, definitely recommend and great fun. So, the next thing for me, Dan, I've been back into the Amazon Prime Lollyjar now. After your remark some moments ago about me not having got a notification because it wasn't from the 40s or 50s i warn you next week i'm thinking about watching three movies from the 1930s but this one was actually from 2005 uh, and this is a movie called quicksand um and this stars sir michael keaton and sir michael kane so two superb actors um a bruce wayne and alfred combo uh, who've never starred together before both in peak form in what i would have to say was 
a bit of a B movie that sort of doesn't realize that it's a B movie. I had a great time watching this, but I am going to come in with perhaps one of my biggest criticisms of a movie ever by saying that with the exception of the, the two Michaels and also uh, this one guy who, who he, the guy who played Boris the Blade in Snatch, I can't even remember his name. That's how rude I've been. But with the exception of those three, the rest of the cast in this movie are so bad. If we were to replace any of them, I doubt anyone would notice, and I I feel like we could do just as good a job. Honestly, I, I've never known. I I'm, I can only imagine what Michael Caine and Michael Keaton must be thinking between takes. Like, what am I doing? I'm Batman. What am I doing in this movie? Um, but yeah, it was it was good fun. Um, I cannot believe that this movie is actually as relatively recent as it is, you know, 2005, because it it, it honestly it has a real 90s feel to it. And you know how we've talked about. 90s movies having that sort of that that certain finish to them the quality of the film um plus the credits and the font and the music and production it all contributes to it feeling like it was from 1993 but it it's it is a lot of fun and and what we've got here just because i realize i haven't explained the movie sorry we've got michael keaton as an investment banker who who very cleverly gets framed for a murder so if you think harrison ford in the fugitive he goes on the run and then this guy who's, as I say, he's a banker, you know, he's, he's sat up behind a desk looking at spreadsheets all day. Suddenly he has to rely on his core human survival skills. And he's actually pretty convincing. So um, this, yeah, this was a bit of fun, this one. I can't say, to be honest with you, I've ever heard of this movie. And I think it's interesting, right? Because I think, as you say, it stars two pretty big names. And I think, it, you know, in that time when it came out I'm I feel like a Michael Keaton Michael Caine movie would have made uh greater greater headlines or been more on my radar but yeah I've just I've honestly never come across it before yeah I think it feels like one of those straight to straight to DVD ones I think you find some there's a lot of things like this in Amazon Prime's back catalog it's like a it's like I don't know what the equivalent, but in New Zealand it would be like the warehouse or I don't know, like a Walmart or came out, like a bag in bin of DVDs. And it's just, they're all tossed in this big crate and you just sift through them. And you're like, you pick up something that you've never heard of that stars like Sean Connery and, uh, and Robert De Niro. And you're like, what's this? Anyway, it's, it's really worth watching it. If you like these actors, somehow Michael Caine is caught in the middle of this. He plays an actor. He plays an actor with a bit of an ego. Uh, and he has a tendency to be a little bit too Michael Caine. <laughs> and he really leans into his, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off sort of moments where he really sort of like goes, goes full Caine in this movie. <laughs> Can you cut that out? I think that's going to come across awful. Um, but really good fun B movie, fugitive thriller. I love a, fum- uh, a fugitive movie. This one gets two guns as well. <laughs> I think what's interesting about these movies, if you think back to, I guess when these movies first came out, particularly here in New Zealand, where we had no even um, DVD subscription service or VHS, like, you know, which Netflix originally provided, mm. this is the type of movie that you would have picked up in a video store and been like, this is two top tier actors. I'm 100% getting around this. And so, we're, you know, whereas today, you know, we don't watch 
anything that doesn't have a review or a number against it. In fact, even um, half the movies you go into on Amazon Prime actually show the IMDb rating, which I'm surprised they show you because most of them are terrible. And it instantly sort of like puts me off half the time because it's like, this is a 4.3, this is a 5.1. Like, can we at least get like a 7 bar or Yeah, I know, thing? right? I think because they're the same company, that's why they do it. Hey, that's the only reason I can think of because it must be just an automated thing and they just, they just maybe no one's actually checked how many bad movies they've got in their back catalogue. I always have a lot of fun there. As always, don't put any weight in my advice because just like any movie that's there's, I don't know, Eddie Murphy or Harrison Ford, if you've got a, yeah, if Michael Keaton falls falls into that same realm and I always have rose-tinted glasses on and you throw in Michael Caine and a fugitive storyline and I'm going to have a good time no matter how bad the rest of the cast are. Um, and finally, Dan, for this week for me, I wanted to also talk about uh, season one of Creamery. Uh, so, so last week I talked about the the pilot episode of this uh, New Zealand series, um, which um, I've now binge watched the, the rest of the season on uh, TVNZ on demand. This is brilliant. This was such a good laugh. This was the highlight of, of the of the long weekend in terms of TV watching. Honestly, it's I haven't laughed as much at a New Zealand comedy series since Flight of the Concords. That's how highly I rate this. Um, so as I, as I mentioned last week, again, just to give a little synopsis, set in the not-too-distant future, a viral plague has swept the earth, and in a matter of mi- minutes, or weeks, sorry, it's decimated 99% of men, and the 1% that were left were sent to the facility in New Zealand but didn't survive. Or did they? Um, and... Yeah, so this this follows these three dairy farmers who stumble across what they presume to be, you know, the last living male. And these three dairy farmers are just really good value. And so we have uh, Paulina Lau, uh, we have Ali Shua, JJ Fong, and all three are, are Kiwi women of, of Asian descent as too is the writer-director, uh, Roseanne Liang. And all four of them together um, have sort of founded this company, Flat Free Productions, who made this. And I think it's that, I think what it is, is actually that real-life friendship and, and camaraderie that they have that translates really well in terms of the of the, of the the on-screen chemistry that these characters have. And they're just, they're really straight up you know, say what you think, no filter, classic Kiwis, the swearing is fantastic. And actually there are some elements of this um, that are a little bit risque, uh, which is also hilarious. And so this is, this is probably not one I'd recommend someone watch with their parents. If, you know, if you've got, you know, if your parents happen to be boomers without a really open mind. (laughs) I've got to admit, Paul, um, since your review last week, I've heard so many people talk about this show and uh, someone was talking about it actually at work today and they were talking about some line where they were talking about someone used the term guys yeah. and then someone was like don't use the term guys it's triggering that's right <laughs> so that's, that is a great line good. i feel like there's some like uh, you've, you've sold me i think you, you've hyped me up i've heard it from other people i'm going to have to jump on board it, it sounds really interesting and i think what only six episodes so it feels like a relatively straightforward watch yeah really easy to watch on tvnz here in new zealand it is coming out in australia on sbs on the 25th of may and hopefully it gets released in more places uh, around the world as well be um because i think a lot of people will get a lot out of this there's 
there is a, a lot of other actresses. Obviously, there's not there's only one male actor really, you know, because of the, the scenario. Um, but there's a lot of other actresses in the cast who are well known down under as well. So we have got Rachel Hayes, uh, Tandy Wright, Kim Crossman. Uh, there's also um, Sarah Wiseman who plays this like this hunter assassin type character with like a real Sarah Connor sort of feel. To, uh, that's she's really good. But it, the core of the show. It, is is the writing is the directing and it's those three farmers and the the quirks that they all have and again when you combine those quirks with a with like a, a, a new zealand accent and a new zealand setting it just really really works well and yeah one of the lead characters reminds me a little bit of myself at times uh, pip played by Paulina Lau. um she's always doing the safe thing and like, there's this one scene where they're desperately trying to get away from the Sarah Connor woman and she's trying to be the getaway driver, but she's, and she, she's going around a roundabout, but she's unable to legally exit the roundabout. And so she just keeps going around and stubbornly sort of saying that she will not leave until a safe exit presents itself. Um, I can't do it justice over the podcast. It's something you need to, to watch, but, um, yeah, there's, I've, I feel like there's a lot of rewatchability in this as well. And, and I'll definitely be doing that ahead of season two if we get one. Hopefully we do because, um we need season two of creamery stat it's even a great title i think it's this is really looks like the total package in fact i think after the podcast i'm going to go and check out an episode nice i look forward to talking about it again with you if you do um and yet yeah, this gets all the guns on the rating scale for me and that dan is what i've been watching this week wow all the guns i love that for a kiwi show that's awesome all right, so it must be time for a little bit of Fear the Walking Dead. Indeed it is. So anyone who doesn't watch Fear the Walking Dead, uh, use the show notes uh, in the podcast and fast forward ahead to our movie of the week because we are about to dive in, Dan, to Season 6, Episode 10, Handle with Care. So Handle with Care, the synopsis of this episode is A threat worse than Virginia is on the horizon Morgan calls for unity and invites all survivors to a settlement Tasking Daniel to keep the peace However, Daniel will need to face his own challenge in the hopes of protecting his friends Bit of a, a, a change in pace, I thought, uh, for this episode, Paul um, I thought still overall a, pr- a pretty strong episode um, I, I really enjoy Daniel as a character. Um, it it was an episode that definitely kept me uh, questioning the role that Daniel was playing and whether he was actually being um, straight up. Uh, what Before we sort of go too deep, what did you think of the episode? I thought it was great. Uh, I would actually, in some respects, some, and we'll come to that, place it above the previous two. Um, I feel like the show's on a great roll. You know, that's three in a row. Um, it was. It, it had me hooked right from the start, and I could not believe how quickly. Because this was forty-four minutes, which, as Walking Dead goes, is 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 pretty middle of the road. But you know, I couldn't believe how quickly the time went by. I, it had me hooked from the the start, and it just it had me guessing and confused, and I didn't know what was going. It was great. I really enjoyed this one. I did really enjoy the the storytelling technique in this episode, particularly how Daniel narrated his own episode mm-hmm. largely, and they kind of had the, those great camera angles at the start where um, he's talking, then they, they pull out, and he's actually in the cell, and he's sort of retelling the events that all led up to today. And I think what was sort of interesting about it is, so obviously all of the survivors get together, and at first I was kind of cringe-faced, like, oh, God, here we go. And because I think some, some 
of the survivors are, are better than the others um, and some of them I, I kind of care more about or have more of a um, investment in who they are and they're all brought together and then through poor timing Morgan has to leave and he leaves Daniel in charge and everyone has to lock their guns up um, then there's a if they're having this meeting, this conference about um, how they're going to work together, what are they going to do, and then all of a sudden there's, there's an explosion and um, they soon find out that the guns have actually all been taken, everyone's guns that they've brought to the camp. And then there's sort of a, a whodunit type vibe throughout the show. And I think what was what was interesting is it's really played out as, as Daniel's basically playing the lead detective role throughout the whole episode. And it was a real twist, I think, at the end to be like, actually, it was Daniel who potentially took all these guns. Mm. And because I think what, what was clever about this episode is – I, you know, you really felt for Daniel because you were with him and him remembering, you know, what he had told people, what various actions had taken place. And then when everyone was kind of saying, no, that's not what you said to me, that that's not quite how it played out. You told me to do this and it was kind of counter to what you'd seen. It put you in kind of an interesting place as a viewer because you had been on the journey with Daniel and all mm -hmm. of a sudden it was different information and it made you really question who, like, who's telling the truth here? What's actually happening? Yeah, really good. I think what you just said there in particular about how we we followed the journey through Daniel's eyes and so we heard what he thought he said and that was the crucial point around realising what, you know, obviously there's, there's, he's got some issues. Um, like you said, Daniel, uh, I actually said out loud as we were watching, I said, oh, it's so good to see Daniel again. You know, like I feel like he's been there since the very first episode um, but we haven't seen much of him at all over the last season relative to many other characters. And now, given what, what happened, I'm now kind of worried, oh, are we going to see that much of him going forward? I don't know. But um, the way it played out, as you said, it, it kept me guessing as to who it was who'd stolen these guns. And at no point did I for a second guess that it might have been been Daniel. So, um, yeah, I, I thought it was just really, really clever how they, how they put that all together. So I thought the 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 overall Daniel story absolutely excellent, um, really great as you say to actually get a bit of a, a character driven episode, particularly about a, a character that we've been on this journey with for such a long time, and I think Daniel's one of those characters who, particularly in the first three seasons, was such a badass mm. and would sort of always be taking care of business and kind of interesting to see him kind of become a little bit more. Uh, uh, the environment and the living like this is obviously sort of wearing on him um, emotionally and mentally. And it's kind of interesting to, I think, to explore those angles. I'll tell you the bits that give me the sort of the, the cringe or the kind of eye roll is when the, uh, the, the walkers come into the camp and it was Daniel who let them in just to see who, who might fire a gun. And when people like Dwight, trip over with a zombie falling on them it's just like come on bro like you're one of the, like the the real like you know top five badasses from the show like there's no way that you're tripping over backwards with like a, a walker snapping at you like it's almost going to get you like it it just seems like such poor poor zombie fighting etiquette I, I, you're right and like you say of all people dwight it seems it seems unlikely. I guess they've got to try and create a bit of drama there. Look, I think both of us are big Dwight fans. Not you know, not just in this show, but of course his whole backstory in The Walking Dead previously. But I have to admit, 
as positive I am about this episode, just the last couple of episodes, I've just started to get a little bit of a thing in my mind thinking, I hope they're not going to, I hope they're going to use him a bit more than they are and not just have him for these, you know, these, uh, these really awkward moments with, with Sherry, who, you know, I think clearly has moved on. Yeah, I agree. I feel like the, I feel like in my mind now, the Sherry story is done. Yeah. Like we don't, like, I don't, I, I, I don't even care about that relationship. I hope Dwight doesn't. Um, and I think you're right, like, because there is a little bit of the, the curse of Fear the Walking Dead where you can be a main character and still kind of, like, be put on the shelf. You know, we've seen it with Alicia. We've seen it um, with a couple of the other characters. And it, even, you know, Daniel's even a good example. Mm. Um, it would be really good to kind of, you know, I would love to get the focus, like, really tightly back on Morgan, Daniel, um, Strand, Dwight, like, um, Alicia, like it would be a really, really sort of good show. It'll be interesting to see where they go with it because, like we were saying last week, they've there's not really kind of a, a new big bad setup at the moment. Like mm. all we've really got is some people that are tagging some some property and causing a bit of you know kerfuffle around the place. I don't know where these people come from, Paul. Like, all like surely Virginia should have had that in hand. Like all of a sudden a new group emerges that's doing some tagging. Let, let's get out there and take care of it. I think we've got bigger problems um, in our own neighbourhood uh, than these guys do if it's just tagging. Also, I, I really appreciate the use of the word kerfuffle. I don't think we've had that on the podcast before, so that's nice to have. Um, funny you should talk about Alicia because um, I thought the same thing. I thought it was real convenient that both her and Al, you know, had both conveniently gone off on this supply run. And I'm just, you know, just like I've been keeping an eye on Dwight, I'm just keeping an eye on those characters because they seem to be less prominent to me. But I also looked at the stats because, you know, that's what geeks do, right? And Alicia has the highest number of appearances for any Fear the Walking Dead character. She has 85. Then we have Strand, 81. And then it's actually Luciana, who we also saw and heard for the first time in a wellness episode, who has 70. And so I just wonder if they're sort of, I don't know if, if characters are being phased out or if these actors and actresses have other projects going on. But yeah, it's, it's nice that you've got lots of characters that you can move around but i i think one of the things we've said throughout all three series of the walking dead universe is that we just we like to to always have the focus on the core yeah and i think you know walking sorry fear the walking dead has actually just like really come in hot at a time when we needed it most and i'd love to see them sort of like keep going from strength to strength um and not sort of fall down the trap of actually having too many main characters they don't know what to do with because in my mind it feels like characters like alicia uh, like are you being performance managed and you're just contractually obliged to like you know have to credit you an episode because you know, like we keep saying, such a great character, so interesting, um, has been in it from the start, really turned into a megastar, mm. and has now really just been put on the back burner. And, you know, she's actually would be a great Maggie-type character who could really be working alongside Morgan in a great way. Yeah, no, I like 100% agree. And as you say, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, when I saw the title, just quickly to drop in before I forget, when I saw the title, you know, when it came up on Neon, when we press play, Handle a Care, I immediately thought of the Travelling Wilbury song and I didn't for a second expect to have the first three minutes actually have them playing the Travelling Wilburys and a Care song. I, th- I think it was great. I think the Travelling Wilburys album would make a great soundtrack for this entire series, but that's a different conversation. The one thing I did want to... Oh, go, you go. I was going to say that um, Travelling Wilburys um, opening song was so good. I actually spent the whole day today listening to the Travelling Wilburys on Spotify because it just really, I was like, oh, God, the Wilburys are so great. And um, that was inspired by the show and also Billions. They recently had a, a great sort of shout out to 
the Travelling Wilburys. Nice. Yeah, Volumes 1 and 3 in particular are really good albums. Uh, what I was going to say was I was trying to figure out how much time had passed since the last episode where June walked out like John Wayne and and this one where all of a sudden we have people greeting each other like they hadn't seen each other in a long time and yet Grace is still pregnant so I don't know how much time could realistically have passed I don't know if it really matters but um yeah it was just interesting that we obviously had a bit of a time lapse yeah it's often hard to get a real good clear sense of that in the Walking Dead universe isn't it like Mm -hmm. sometimes um they'll make it really clear by um referencing it was several months ago but in in this episode yeah it wasn't it wasn't clear at all yeah and the other point i was going to talk about i I was when they all got together at the start and june wasn't there i was kind of gutted because you know after the way she walked out at the end of that last terrific episode i was really keen to see her again and then i thought it was really clever how they did bring her back in specifically to sort of assess daniel's condition so to speak and um i thought that worked quite well they they found a way to, to to weave her in did they bring her in or was it in Daniel's imagination? Dan, you, you're going too deep. You're going, what are you on about? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I, so I was thinking that actually June wasn't there. She was only there because Daniel was imagining it. Like he was like. This I is thought, great. This is fan theory. Maybe, this is a fan theory. This is what this is great. I, I, I may be off. This. I'm. I may be at the boat on this, but yeah, I just got the sense that there'd be no way, you know, because Morgan made it pretty clear, if you want to come in the camp, you know, you, you, you can't be thrown down and being a dick. And I think um, June's already thrown down, and I feel like if June was back there, I would also worry about um, Virginia's daughter, which I can't think of her name off the top of my head. Dakota. Um, Dakota. So I don't think she would have been allowed back. So that's why I think he was imagining it. Then I 100% think that she was there. If not, I... We'll take you out and buy you a milkshake. Well, you really? I'm gonna. Ah, I'm intrigued. How are we gonna verify this? Because I like milkshakes, and um, I would like one. Let's see if we can get Robert Kirkman on the phone. Because, because, uh, yeah, um, we can we can look into that. I th- I think that will play out in the next couple of episodes. The conversation between Morgan and June when he was like, you know, could he be faking it? And that was all off camera, and Daniel couldn't hear those things. There's no way that if Daniel was imagining it, that he was imagining a conversation that was taking place somewhere that was too far away for him to hear and to know what was being said you're yeah, you're crazy yeah. dan i feel like we need to get june in to assess you if i'm honest uh, look look it's 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 perfectly valid to think that um another question i have is you know our truck yeah. um that they often roll around in and there's often a shortage of ammunition until they need the ammunition then they just light it then up at any time they need bullets, to yeah. i feel like that truck just gets handed around so easily and if I was there, I'd be like, that's it. I'm getting my truck back. This is the deal we're making. Nothing's happening until I get that truck back. She's too busy, Dan. She's off getting supplies. She's gone to the supermarket with Alicia. She hasn't got time to go looking for a truck. And why Like, why is Morgan leaving when they're having, like, I've called a meeting. There's nothing, you know what it's like, Paul. You work in an office. If someone calls a meeting, they better be there to host it. You can't just have a meeting and then just delegate it down to somebody. It's not how the world works. Oh, I'm all about that. Set up a meeting and get out. It's my favourite thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think overall, look, I, I, you're right. It was a, another great episode. I think, like, Fear the Walking Dead is, is such a great show. Um, and the things that I'm kind of griping about are real minor, small scale things but overall top tier walking dead 100 percent. and a shout out to heather capilio the director of this one she's directed 
less than 10 episodes of television and this is her first one on Fear the Walking Dead and I think as you said at the start some of the camera angles that were used that added to the confusion were really really good I, I really yeah I think everything came together nicely on this one and wow could we be in for four in a row I said this last week I can't wait to find out can you get the social media manager to maybe reach out and get some confirmations on whether June was or was not there? We'll, we'll take care of that. Okay, thank you. So, Dan, it must be time now for this week's movie of the week. Yeah, so each week, Paul and I take turns choosing movie of the week's movies of the week a movie of the week uh if you'd like to find out what that is before we talk about it here on the show then you should probably come and join us on our discord channel where each week we announce that movie so this week we're actually reviewing the new netflix movie concrete cowboy Mm, so this is a, a drama inspired by the by the real life fletcher street stables and we follow the story of 15 year old cole who is taken to live with his estranged father in North Philadelphia. And there he discovers that the city's vibrant urban cowboy subculture, which has existed for more than 100 years, providing a safe haven for the neighbourhood, despite the surrounding poverty and violence. What are you thinking, Dan? North Philadelphia is where I spent most of my days. Oh, here we go. Please tell me you've got a whole whole <laughs> song ready for us. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, so this is a, obviously, as Paul said, this is a, a bit of an interesting movie. Um, I think what's in, what's interesting for me is all of the promotion material I've seen about this movie on, on Netflix particularly really heavily promotes Idris Elba. And I actually, he's not even the star of this movie, Paul. Mm. I think, you know, he's actually not even in the movie for a, a big chunk of it. The real star of this is uh, Caleb uh, McLaughlin from Stranger Things. Mm. So I think this is one of those movies. Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of watching a movie in English class in high school. A movie where there's kind of like, it's not too risque. There's a there's a bit of history here. There's a story to be told. There's a bit of drama. We're going to watch it. Then we're going to write a book report on it. And I kind like I think the movie kind of grew on me as we kind of got a bit deeper into it. But it was it was kind of slow paced. You're absolutely right. I got the same thing. There's just not enough Idris Elba in this movie. And as you say, Caleb McLaughlin, definitely the star. I've only ever seen him as as Lucas in Stranger Things. And so what a firstly, what an incredible performance from him. This is a this is now the role I think of when I think of him, this is what I'll think of. You know, we talk about this with Kevin Costner with Yellowstone. This is the role I'll think of for him. He really owned it and shown a you know a really full range of acting in his locker. He he was great. Um I uh look I did enjoy this movie. Um but can I Actually, can I start by saying, firstly, I agree with you, it wasn't too risque. I, I don't know about the English watching it and then writing a book report, but I, I I know what you mean. I did not have any idea, genuinely had no idea until the very end of this movie um, that this movie was actually rooted in real life events and that and that this this group, this uh, this Fletcher Street Stables was a real life thing. I feel quite ignorant saying that, but I just simply had, had no idea and I... I it was just a shame to have got that at the end because the whole way through, I'm sort of watching it thinking, oh, this is this is quite interesting, but, you know, I wonder if this would really happen. And of course it did. And then I just felt really stupid. Yeah, it's sort of a, 
It's interesting, right? Because I think the the whole premise of the of the movie is kind of just telling the story of uh, obviously the Fletcher Street Cowboys that have been around, which you, you don't know till the end, have been around for a hundred or so years of um, with black cowboys um, taking in these horses, which um, would probably have come to the end of their life, or they're they're probably about to be put down, or whatever may be the case in there. Mm. Um, uh, taking care of these horses, looking after them. And there used to be a whole bunch of stables um, around Philadelphia. And over time, through gentrification and just, you know, I guess increased sort of property demands and all sorts of things, the, this, this whole sort of way of life has slowly sort of been um, taken away. And I think it's one of those movies where – and you touched on it, it doesn't actually become interesting until you get the real life bit at the very end. Mm. And I think it could pr- probably could have benefited from that right at the very start and then another bit at the end to kind of bookend it because I think it would have made you sort of care a little bit more about the characters because there's oh, – sorry. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I was just thinking of Band of Brothers in my mind, how you get that emotional connection you know, at the start and the end by bookending it. And because I think, you know, it's kind of – it's kind of wild, right? Like, you know, the movie starts with um, Caleb's character being basically dropped off at his dad, who he doesn't know. He goes to stay with his dad. His dad has a horse in his living room. Like, it's all pretty kind of like, what the hell's going on here? Like, mm. <laughs> there's a horse in their living room. Um, and, you know, the, the whole Fletcher Street Cowboy thing's over at least the last sort of 20 years from um, a little bit of reading I've done after watching the movie is is really about trying to create a, a pathway um, for young kids, I guess, mm-hmm. away from, you know, living on the streets and potentially crime and all that, all that type of stuff. Like it's quite an admirable cause. It looks like they do some pretty cool stuff. It, it actually sounds like in today's today's world it's probably a, a real sort of like hip attraction. And so it's, yeah, look, I thought it was, it was an interesting movie. It didn't... I find it a hard one to recommend because it didn't really do like it didn't really leave me with a a strong message apart from ah oh, okay mm. that was a real life thing um and I I feel I can't help but feel like there was sort of um they could have done something more with this some sort of like cause for me to sort of like for the the viewer to get more behind yeah no look I think you're right um the <laughs> Would I recommend it? Well, I think there's. I think if you go into this knowing that, as as we say, that these 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 stables are a real thing, I think then you you probably get something out of it way 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 quicker than you than we did, where you get that moment at the end. I was really blown away at the end. Not as I said, not that it was real, but that we actually had the actual Fletcher Street stable cowboys appear in the movie. You know, all of them from from Northern Philadelphia, and not just as like a quick cameo, but like the t- the two of them actually had a, a relatively sizable um supporting role. I thought that was that was you know quite impressive. My main f- feeling watching this movie, I've just felt incredibly sad watching it and I had nothing but feelings of sympathy for this kid and just hoping that he'd make the right decision and at every turn, I literally didn't know if he was going to make it out of a situation alive or not. And then, you know, when he decides to go off with his with his young friend and they're going to go sort of try and claim that street corner, you, you knew that something was going to happen. And there may have been a couple of times where I felt the story was maybe a little predictable. But to be honest, I feel like in those scenarios with this sort of like 
like a territory war going on. I think I feel like the things that happened probably because that's what would happen in real life. So maybe they did well not to try and Hollywood it up, perhaps. But um, yeah, I um, I I think I I would still recommend it because I just feel like the strength of the the acting from from Kelly McLaughlin, the story, his story, um, in terms of uh, a young person who's troubled being able to find a a bit of a purpose in life, a bit of a, a bit of a sense of belonging and, and obviously getting his connection with his, um, his father. That was, that was enough for me, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not up there. I think you're right. Like, like Caleb McLaughlin, he acts his heart out in this film. And I think as, as someone who we've already said is mostly probably known from Stranger Things, like this really demonstrated the the depth to his acting ability. And I think, you know, like we're saying at the start with Idris Elba kind of, he's not really the star of this film and he kind of just like Idris Elba kind of just struts on and owns the scenes when he needs to. But you can like, not to say he's not working hard, but I, I feel like Caleb's really smashing it. And I think you're right. Like maybe at the end, like it was a pretty powerful ending um, when they're, you know, all riding their horses back to to protect the stables, and it it was a good story. I, I think again, it did make it even stronger by the fact that some of the actors in here are real life um, Fletcher Street Cowboys. That that's awesome. And I think if this is their first acting job, like some of these got some of these guys are probably, you know walk into hollywood now and start start doing movies that's right they they were really convincing for me just on the subject of idris elba one another thing that always i don't know kind of irks me just a little bit when actors i enjoy watching put on an accent from another country when i really feel that they have quite a distinctive enjoyable accent in their home country jason statham is another example for me and you know i do get over it but i i find um quite distracting for the first few minutes because I'm expecting a certain type of voice and I always have the same experience with Idris Elba whenever I watch Prometheus as well um but anyway not not wanting to derail us but how annoying must it be for an actor or an actress who auditions for a role only to find that they've they've missed out and that the, the the producers have actually decided to go with someone else who doesn't even have the required accent um in there you know just like that as a natural thing I think that must be quite frustrating but um but yeah, look, um, I normally feel like I have a lot to say, probably too much um, when it comes to the movie of the week. But this week, I just feel it was it was it was a good it was a good story. There was a lot of heart. It tells a story about something that I never knew existed. I felt sad. I feel gutted for these Fletcher Street stable cowboys, though, because it feels like they have to continue to keep moving on from place to place, and that just feels like a story that unfortunately may never have a good ending. Yeah, look, I hopefully, you know, with a movie like this, it actually builds up um, a, a bit more public awareness, probably builds up some um, more supporting, hopefully some more funding. And it, it sounds like this is, uh, you know, uh, an, an organisation which I think from the stuff I was reading has only sort of been formally an organisation for the last 20 years, but obviously it has been around for 100 plus. So it would it would be a, a great thing, I think, for Philadelphia to, to really embrace. And I'm sure they are. And look, to be honest, Paul, I would still watch this movie 100 times over before I watched any more Bill and Ted. Um, oh, yeah. So on, on that note, it, like, look, it's good. I think it, as far as a Netflix movie goes, I don't think you can do, you can go too wrong. I think, like we're saying, I think maybe go go into this movie knowing that it's a true story. Correct. Well put. 
Cool. What are you giving on the guns akimbo scale? I am going to give that two and a half guns. Two and, I agree. Two and a half guns. Two and a half guns in the in the six shooter. Just, <laughs> just nice. really mess it up. Nicely done. Nicely done. Uh, Dan, do you have any uh, any news for us this week at all at your news desk? I have got a couple of things for you. So speaking of Jason Statham, he's recently come out and said that, you know how this, as a Fast and the Furious fan, you will be all over this news, uh, I imagine. Mm. Um, have you heard of the hashtag Justice for Han? <laughs> no. Is this, is this, who, this is about Han Solo, who shot first? <laughs> you know Han from Fast and the Furious. Oh, that You may remember him from, uh, you know, um, he met in spoilers untimely demise in uh, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, the third movie. The greatest now, movie. the what, what, number one's the greatest, but anyway. Um, so Han is actually coming back in Fast Nine, and there's a whole bunch of you know sort of stuff always around justice for Han, and the fans love Han, and they they want to see him back. And Jason Statham was recently interviewed, and he references the the justice for Han thing, and he's like. Look, I hope before this franchise ends, we get to have a, a final sort of Jason Statham Han um, rematch, and he wants to he wants to put this fire out. And I love that. I love it when actors get behind this type of like fan culture and and hype. So he's hoping. You know, I think there's only a couple more Fast and the Furious movies before this all gets wrapped up. But maybe we will finally get some justice for Han. Let's hope so. We can only hope. Um, you season three. That has officially um, uh, wrapped production, so that means that we are hopefully going to get a release later this year. I hope they give us a, a Boxing Day release like they have done in previous years, because this show is a great treat to watch in that sort of um, post-Christmas time of the year. I, I'm all about um, that. I really enjoyed those first two seasons, so I'll definitely be keen to see that. Definitely. Um, last week we talked about how well uh, Godzilla vs. Kong was doing at the box office. And this week it looks like Mortal Kombat's actually really giving it a run for its money. So this has been one of the biggest HBO Max opening weekends, higher than uh, Godzilla. And where did I see the numbers? It looked like 3.8 million households tuned in to watch Mortal Kombat, which... Wow. It's, it's pretty awesome. I think it's a, it's probably some interesting numbers for them there, uh, particularly with sort of the theatre versus HBO home model and, and how that's playing out. I imagine that 3.8 million at, what, 25, 30 American dollars per, per viewing is a pretty tidy profit. That's not bad at all. Those are some big numbers, right? Those are big numbers. Uh, you know, so speaking earlier of... Um, Falcon and uh, the Winter Soldier. So um, now that uh, Sam Wilson, a.k.a. the Falcon, has officially become the new Captain America, he's actually taken over the Captain America Twitter handle from uh, from Steve Rogers. So previously on Twitter, if you go to Captain America, it obviously had a picture of um, Steve Rogers as Captain America. Now you'll find it's actually a picture of Sam Wilson holding the shield. And I think that's awesome. I, I love that the, again, the sort of the movie fandom creeps into things like social media. I think that's very cool. Nice touch. I like that. And then finally, so we've just had the um, the Oscars. So... 
interesting year for the Oscars. I thought I might just rattle off a, a few of the um, awards, if that's of interest to you, Paul. It is indeed. Go ahead. All right. So Best Picture uh, this year was Nomadland. Best Actor went to uh, Anthony Hopkins in The Father. Best Actress went to Frances uh, McDormand in No Man Land. Uh, Best Director, uh, Chloe Zhao in Nomadland. God, that's getting, that's getting lots of awards. Mm. Uh, what else have we got here? Best International Feature, Another Round. Best Animated Feature, Soul. Best Documentary, My Octopus Teacher. Best Original Score, Soul. I've got to, I've got to be honest, Paul, lots of these uh, movies that they're sort of recommending, not on my – well, or that are recommending, that are getting awards <laughs> – I'm not really. I'm not really on my radar at the moment. No, it's. Uh, I was looking back through uh, some of the previous years, and I think this is the first year in the history of the Oscars, at least in my lifetime, since I've been involved to watch movies, that nothing. There's nothing out there that I have seen, um, and some of them. If I'm really honest with you, despite working on this podcast, you know, as a full time job, then I hadn't even heard of them. No, I think we've got some uh, upskilling to do. We'll, um, we better put in a, a budget bid for next year's personal development to make sure that we get all over some of these um, more, what should we say, ed- educational, more, high end. maybe that's the wrong word, high, high end. Cultured. Or <laughs> cultured, that's the word I'm looking for. I think, you know, these feel like proper movies yeah. that, actual reviewers would talk about as opposed to people who kind of take a, a half measures approach to talking about things. But yeah, next week we'll be watching me. Bill and Ted 4. <laughs> and that is me, Paul. Any other news on your end? Uh, not a great deal from me this week, Dan. There's a couple of things in our Discord news channel, courtesy of Michael Chalmers in North Carolina. Uh, we've got a, another edition to the Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, series, uh, Emmy-nominated actress uh, Maya Erskine. I don't don't know her, but uh, getting a lot of attention online. Uh, a very worrying article um, that Warner Brothers um, have potentially made a decision to stop making Blu-ray and DVD uh, by 2022. So for an old-school collector like me, someone who relies on that physical media for music and for, for, for movies... Um, that's that's a bit of a worry, but you know it could, it may not actually be it may not actually be a thing. Uh, and what else did I have here? Dan? something that I thought might interest you: John Wick uh, TV series um, in the making uh, as the the fourth and fifth installments of the the movie are on their way. They're looking at doing a a prequel um, series about a young uh, a young John Wick. So that's that's quite interesting. But yeah, that is. All I've got on the news desk myself this week. Awesome. It must be time for a little bit of mail. Yes, and just two things this week, Dan. Firstly, Love and Monsters. Um, So last week you gave us your review of that movie and we had uh, Ollie Drake from Bay of Plenty comment on your review. Uh, He said he thought it was a fair review, although the real star of the movie was Boy, um, who... I had to Google and then I discovered that Boy was in fact a dog and he must have made quite an impression on screen because uh, we also had Freckled Pretzel uh, give a shout out for for Boy as well. 
And secondly, last week's peak performance. So that was Jason Bateman. Uh, and we had five people submit nominations this week. Uh, nomination for Valerie came in from Mike in Palmerston North. This was uh, Valerie is a, an 80s show. Um, if you're not familiar with it, it was also known as the Hogan family. Um, we had Sarah in Wellington uh, went with Ozak. Uh, we had Layla from Rhode Island, uh, like you, Dan, went with Arrested Development. And uh, we had Linda from The Wire Rapper here in New Zealand go with The Switch. Um, that was another that was another good Jason Bateman comedy, if I remember rightly. And finally, we had Mr. Paddington Fox from The Republic of Ireland, who gave us his 3-2-1 of Juno, Paul, and Arrested Development was also his number one. And that's the mailbag this week. Nothing from Bob and the Hawks Bay this week. Not this week, no. We have some regular contributors and uh, you always expect to see them. And it's always like a flow. We sometimes get a guy called uh, Ryan in San Fran. He comes in sometimes. Uh, uh, who else do we sometimes get? Jamie from Ohio. There's, there's a few different people that come in each week. But no, nothing from Bob this week. So we're keeping an eye on you, Bob. What's happening, Bob? All right, so we must be up to our peak performance. Indeed, we are. So just like our movie of the week, each week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose uh, someone from the movie world um, and we pick out their what we consider to be their top three uh, movies, TV shows or performances, depending on their role. And this week, Dan, who have we got? We have got David Fincher, who you probably most commonly know as a movie director. So a bit of a change this week. Sometimes we do actors and actresses. Sometimes we do producers. This week, we've got a movie director. So shall I kick us off? Why not? I, I almost wanted to be a bit of a bit of a geek here, and I was going to say I'll, I'll go with Indiana Jones uh, and Return of the Jedi because – I discovered when looking through his back catalogue that he worked on both those movies. Um, and on The Return of the Jedi, he was an assistant cameraman, which I think is just an amazing way to get some experience as a 19-year-old. Um, but, you know, this is the director's chair, so let's not do that. But I thought, what a, what a great way to start your career with those two movies. Um, this 3 two, one I found quite hard. I knew straight away what my top two movies were going to be, and I wrestled for at least... I don't know, five minutes on my train home today, what what my number three was going to be. But in the end, it came down to uh, which of which of the, which of these movies would I would I most want to watch right now if I had the choice? And the answer to that is Zodiac from 2007. So this is a movie about a, a set in the 60s about a cartoonist who becomes an amateur detective obsessed with tracking down the Zodiac killer uh, in um, California. And this one is just absolutely brilliant. And I think it has a killer cast, this one, um, you know, including um, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, and one of my favorite actors, Brian Cox. Um, there's just a lot about this movie. Um, it, I don't think, I can't pretend to remember too much as I haven't seen it since 2007, but I do remember that, you know, that strong vibe you get after you watch a movie like oh that was great and it really resonates with you i honestly i would re-watch this one in a happy so that took out my number number three spots uh, my number two is the 1997 movie the game 
uh, starring Michael Douglas. Um, and this one uh, I've talked about before. I think when we did our uh, peak performance for Michael Douglas, I think I had it in his top three there as well. This one is just chaotic right until the end of this movie. I I don't know what is real and and what is part of this game, what's not real. It's it's an exhausting movie. It's probably the most stressful movie ever alongside, I don't know, um, what's that movie with Adam Sandler? Uncut Gems. Oh, Uncut Gems. Yeah. Uh, and David Fincher, you know, he does, a, he does a great job. Diane and I have watched this one a couple of times. And yeah, I think it's quite underrated. I don't think it gets talked about as much as, as it should. But yeah, that's my number two. And my number one uh, is the movie Seven. And I know we say this a lot on this podcast, but this is a movie. What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> What's in the box? This is definitely overdue a rewatch. Uh, like, I don't know, maybe we should have it as movie of the week sometime. It is top draw. In fact, I am actually really curious to know if a rewatch still not holds up because this movie definitely holds up but if i feel like so much of this movie was about the shock factor of that of what actually happens you know what's in the box um it's absolutely brilliant i don't think there's ever been anything quite in this style that has ever come as close to topping it i would even say it may even be my favorite morgan freeman movie as well possibly i don't know but it's you know just thinking about morgan freeman just listing off the seven sins yeah just it's it's just got everything, and yeah, that's my three, two, one. Great choices, Paul. Great choices as always. So yeah, this was actually I, I agree with you. This was quite a, a tough call to um, choose. My I knew my number one as well, but I was kind of open for my three and two position. So for number three, I'm actually going to go with the 2014 movie Gone Girl. Um, so this is the movie starring uh, Ben Affleck, and it's basically where his wife disappears, um, and he becomes the focus of an intense media circus. And it's just a, like, I, I know this was a, a book, like many movies obviously start out to be, but I found this movie really great. I thought it was a, a high tension, high stress um, great acting and just a real memorable film. It's one of those films again, you know, like you mentioned with Seven. I don't know whether the shock value would be there to watch it again, mm. but as a as a, a one time watch, absolutely loved it. Brilliant. Number two, I'm going to go with the 1992 movie Alien Three. So, um. You know, Paul and I are both big um, Alien fans. So basically, Alien Three is after uh, Ripley's last encounter. She she cr- crash lands um, on Florina One Six One, a maximum security prison. When a series of strange and deadly events occur shortly after her arrival, Ripley realizes that she has brought along an unwelcome visitor. Great movie. I, like we, we're going to do an episode um, at some point in the future where we talk about these movies, but. I just I couldn't not have this on my list. Alien Three for some reason stands out to me the most out of all the Alien movies. I think it's because I remember as the the one that really got me into it mm. in my sort of um, younger years, and then that sort of I think inspired me to to go back and watch the other ones. But this was the first one that I really became aware of. And then my number one, no surprises here, the nineteen ninety five movie Seven. And I'm with you. This movie. 
um, has had me shooketh for years, Paul. Shooketh. Mm. Um, so many disturbing scenes. So kind of ahead of its time. Like I don't even know if they would make a movie this risque in today's age. Like, could it even be done? And I'm with you. This probably deserves a rewatch. And just even to see a, a young Brad Pitt and uh, Morgan Freeman. And it's even got Kevin Spacey in it. Like, mm. there's, there's so many, um, so many actors in this in this movie that we've, um, you know, appreciate all their different work. So yeah, look, three, two, one for me. Gone Girl, Alien Three, and Seven. I was so pleased to to hear you have different choices because I really struggled to not have alien three in my in my top three even though i still think within the confines of the alien universe it, it, it's not that high up but we'll talk about it on another podcast but can i say the quality of david fincher for us to have that many different movies we only agreed on one and we still you know we didn't go there with a the social network we didn't go there with panic room we didn't go there with fight club uh this there's this is someone who just keeps producing absolutely fantastic movies, and uh, I I can't wait to see uh, another movie from him in the near future. Hopefully, look, definitely, it was a, a great choice, um, and as always, it's inspired a, a potential rewatch of some old classics. Indeed, it has. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures Podcast. Does indeed. Our thanks this week to Time Travelling Team Podcast for supporting this week's episode. And congratulations to Paddy from Time Travelling Team Podcast, who just bought his first house. And Dan, he has invited us over for a Guinness with him and Tricia when we go on our Half Measures tour of Europe, which I believe is scheduled for a couple of years' time. So we look forward to that. Amazing. Imagine us doing a, a live podcast with those guys. It'd be so much fun. Imagine the, the audience. Guinness. Imagine the ticket uh, sales. Yeah, indeed. It would be outrageous. I don't even know. if Could we even find a, a pub big enough to, to take all the fans of Half Measures and Time Travelling Team? I'm not sure. Well, Does it that. even exist? It's a stadium, probably. Uh, also, a special shout-out to our Patreon producers of the show, Trisha Brady and Samara King. If you would like to become a Patreon producer of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.